You're listening to the Utah Man Podcast, bringing you the latest news and analysis for your Utah youths. Now, your hosts, Cameron, Ryan, and Scott. Recording in the Vivid Seat Studio, this is the Utah Man Podcast. On this episode, we're talking the current news with the Utes. We're joined by former Ute Jordan Wynn. We're joined by Brendan Slaughter from Beaver's Edge to give us an inside look into the Oregon State Beavers. I'm Cameron, and we got Ryan. Hey, Ute Nation. And Scott. Hey, coming live from the Beaver Nation. <laughs> Lucky you. Oh, it's... I'm on a I'm on assignment this week. Uh, you know, just trying to get a lay of the land out in uh, out in uh, Beaverton. <laughs> I know it's been well, since 2016 that Utah and Oregon State have played, but man, I you can always have some good jokes. <laughs> that that's how dedicated we are as a, as as a podcast to you listeners. We are on assignment, doing everything we can to give you to turn over every beaver and make sure we get you all the news. All right, so speaking of the news with this Utah team, let's let's dive in kind of the headlines uh, since there's not a game to, to break down because of the bye. Whittingham announced that Bam Bam Tunican will get one year to play two. The NCAA is such a joke. I know. They don't know what they're doing. They they know what they're doing in regards to if it has anything to do with Utah, they just screw you. <laughs> I mean, if you look at all the transfers this off season, almost all of them got granted waivers, except for Cam Rising at Utah. Like, I don't know if the NCAA is targeting Utah. I mean, as a fan, it feels like it, that, but it just like was either targeting uh, Utah or they're they're consistently inconsistent. Well, that's it. There's nothing is consistent with whatever they do. Even their targeting rules, no one knows what they are. But it is what it is with Bam. So he he can play four games and still keep that red shirt year to have a full year next year. Uh, Winningham and his, his Monday afternoon uh, presser said that they will use at least the four games. So I'll throw it out to you guys, Scott. We'll, we'll leave with you first. Where do you th- where would you play Bam if you were Kyle Winningham, Jim Harding, where would you play Bam? Would you play him the rest of the year? Would you just limit to them four and on what four games? Yeah, obviously at this point there's there's no point in burning his redshirt year. You're already thirty five games into the season and, and we don't even know if he's ready to play yet. So it sounds like uh I mean Whittingham alluded today in the press conference that they're still uh um, you know, he he may be even a few a few games away from really getting on the field because uh, all of his reps have been on the scout team at this point. So they got to get him back in the rotation, kind of see how he does in practice. So I'd, I'd actually be surprised if he came against Oregon State. I think we'd probably see him a little bit later in the season, maybe against ASU or maybe against Cal the following week is maybe when we'll see him and, and get that, that four-game clock ticking. But uh, I, I just don't think uh, he, he he's probably too big of an unknown at this point. There's no there's no reason to waste that red shirt. Just kind of uh, I would say as practice goes and how well he performs is then when you'll see him and he'll get those four games and and then go from there. 
I think that's tricky to decide how, where, and when he plays because I, he's I I don't think he's ready. I think he obviously got came late to camp, um, limited practice time, uh, and then you got I think what do you have seven regular season games left, and then you've got to take into account uh, a bowl game and possibly a Pac-12 championship game, assuming all goes well. So there's there's still a you know eight or nine games left on the schedule and he can only play four so my thinking is if if you potentially have that many games left get him up to speed and maybe play him in the potential last four so he's got he's got something going into next season i did see this on twitter and i completely 100 percent agree with it Postseason games should not count towards red shirt. I saw that too. That's an interesting, interesting thought. But the NCAA won't I, go with that. I know, but the fact is, is that you're going to be punished because you have more games compared to other teams. No, I agree. Like, I think that's. I think it should just be four games in the in the twelve regular season, and then whatever post game is doesn't count. But well, I mean, if, if we're going if if we're if we're if we're going that route, you might as well just say it doesn't count unless you're playing a P five opponent. <laughs> and if we're going that route, Covey could sit out the rest of the games except for the Pac twelve championship and the Rose Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's actually uh, into our next topic with Covey. Uh, but before we hit that, we have a special promotion going on right now. If you're looking for seats, go to the next Utah game because I know they're hard to get. If you go to Vivid Seats mobile app, first time you use it, if you use promo code OVERTIME, you can get up to $100 off your next ticket purchase. Again, that's the Vivid Seats app and promo code OVERTIME. So I know we've talked about this on the show a couple times now, uh, even prior to, to Covey sitting out, how he just didn't seem himself. He didn't seem like the Covey that we'd seen in the past. And obviously, an ACL injury is not, an easy injury and it's not an easy recovery. Well, I just want to preference that we're taking that into consideration that he's still recovering from an injury. It's not against him anything personally, but what do you guys think about Covey registering the rest of the year? I I'm all for it. Yeah, I'm for it. I, I think, and I think the reason that I'm for it is because we have depth that we've never had at wide receiver before. Sure, he's going to be missed. His his skill level and his ability is is unbelievable when he's healthy, but he doesn't have that right now. I mean, if you were to say that last year, that depth that we have this year isn't there. It'd be a huge hole to fill with with him not there. But but this year, I I, don't, I just think there's so many weapons as it stands right now. Obviously, other injuries could pop up and that could change. But as it stands right now, get him healthy and. Bring him back next year, like as good as he was the year before. It feels like Britain's been in the program for going on about a decade. <laughs> and if you think about this for a minute, he still is only halfway through his eligibility. There's still two more full seasons ahead of Britain Covey at Utah. If, I think everybody read, in the Pac-12 that's if is going to think that literally he's been here for over a decade. But that's only if he registers this year, he'll have two years, right? Correct. Yeah, well, he he, he, he was on ESPN 700 today and, 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 and said so, that, uh, that 
that uh, it's almost a done deal. He'll be redshirting, so we're we're not going to see him back. I mean, he's not he's not going to wake up tomorrow on the knee all of a sudden going to be better. It's not a quick fix in that regard. So, I uh, we're, we can basically plan. We're not going to see Britain the rest of the year. I think he's going to have two full years, um, you know, to come back and 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 get healthy and, and be himself because that's you know. That's what that's what he's missing is he's still a good player and he can still go out there and and, and catch the ball and field punts, but he but his dy- what makes him so dynamic is that speed that quick quick burst and his ability to change direction so quickly while maintaining that speed and you know coming off an ACL less than a year out you know he's just not there so it's you know it's going to be next year before we see him again. But the thing that gets me kind of excited about that is this wide receiving core is pretty young. I mean, if you you talk about the the guys who are contributing right now, Brian Thompson, uh, Dixon, Solomon Enos, I mean, they're all yeah. So all these guys that are underclassmen for, for the most part, and then you're gonna have another two years with Britton Covey. I think it's gonna really help. Especially when you have, uh, I mean, Utah's going to have a new starting quarterback next year with Tyler Huntley leaving, right? Either Jason Shelley or, or Cam Rising, uh, probably one of those two will, will be your starting quarterback. And being able to have these young wide receivers that are getting the experience, but then they're going to be able to have you know a couple years with a new quarterback. I think that, that really helps this program kind of keep keep going where it is and not having to regress and completely rebuild from the bottom up. Yeah, there's going to be some growing pains because you are losing a Huntley and a Moss next year. But I say as far as the wide receiving core, kind of keeping it young, I think can can be a good thing. Even though what you just said, Scott, that Covey will be in the program for quite a long time now. And with, with the LDS mission in there, he, he's going to be a grandpa by the time he leaves. I think it is, it's going to benefit the program. I think it, I think it will, and the way you talked about that, I mean, yes, we're going to have a new quarterback and a new starting running back, but just look at, you You mentioned the depth of wide receiver, look at the depth of running back that we've used in the last few games with Moss being out. They're gaining experience. They're young. The offensive line, for the most part, is fairly young, and we've already talked about uh, Bam being able to play next year. I guess you could call it somewhat of a rebuilding year because you have a new quarterback, but most of the other positions are going to be pretty set. Besides the fact that Covey's starting to remind me of that uh, defensive player back in the McBride era that played for like 12 years, Brandon Dart. I remember (laughs) Dart in my youth. (laughs) He's like, like, oh, Dart's back. Dart's back. Another year. (laughs) <laughs> I just aged myself on our podcast. All right, so that's kind of the news that have been that's been happening with the team the last uh, week or so, and it does look like we have Jordan Win on the phone. Before we bring him on, that interview is brought to you by Farmers Insurance for protecting your home, vehicle, and family. Look to Farmers Insurance. Call Scott Elmer at eight zero one. 3074046 and you can always check him out on Twitter at Scott underscore Omer and the number eight. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, you fans, joining us on the phone now, the one, the only, the famous former quarterback, Jordan Wynn. Jordan, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? You know, Utah's off to a great start. We can't complain. And talking to a former Ute, it's it's always a great day. Uh, cool. So I don't want to take too much of your time. So I, let's just hurry and jump into it. When you're watching this Utah team, what do you think has been the most improvement you've seen in the offense? Uh, I mean, I think without a doubt, it's it's not turning the football over. Um, you know, last year I think there was uh, quite a bit of turnovers that you know didn't didn't put the team in a good position. And so this year they're taking care of the football really well. Um, I think that starts with running the football. They've done a they've done a great job, um, even even you know with or without Zach. They've done a good job, um, and that's a credit to those guys up front. And then Huntley's taking care of football. I mean, you know, this this defense is so good, and it always has been that, you know, if you make teams have to go the whole field, they're probably, you know, the, the probability of that happening is pretty low. And, um, you know, so they're taking care of the football, which, which is the biggest improvement, I think, by far. You know, looking at the offense, Jordan, uh, there's there's a lot of weapons out there for Huntley to go to. It, it, as a former QB, how does that affect that position as from a confidence standpoint when you know you can go anywhere on the field and there's a chance they can make a big play? Yeah, I mean, it's huge, just like you said, for just from a sheer confidence standpoint. I think anytime you've got guys like they have on the roster right now that can go up and get the ball or, or, you know, make a play with the ball in their hands. Um, you know, it's a great feeling as a QB, you know, that there's um, really a chance that the play could score, you know, you could score a touchdown on any play. And that's a very, uh, obviously a really good feeling and, and a really, you know, not so good feeling if you're the defense, right? I mean, you're kind of holding on for dear life, waiting for something to pop. And when you can get a defense thinking like that, um, you know, they're a little bit on their heels and, and you're going to be able to get after them. And so, Jordan, I, I really want to talk to you about, about Tyler Huntley because as you, you know, kind of started this call, you know, you talked about how Huntley hasn't turned the ball over. And I, I'm still trying to figure out where he, he fits in, in this and, what, and I, how I phrase this. Do you think Huntley is a, a product of this Ludwig system or do you are you seeing Huntley really growing um, into a, a great quarterback? You know, I think it's a little bit of both. I think, uh, you know, he's he's a veteran now. He's been around for a while. Um, even though he's had some injuries, he's played a lot of football. And, uh, you know, the more that you do anything in life, um, the better you're going to be at it, right? So the more reps, the more uh, snaps that he gets, he's only going to continue to get better. And I think that's uh, what's happening now. You know, you obviously have to give credit to to some credit to, to Ludwig. I mean, he's doing a great job and putting him in good situations. And, um, you know, I've heard 
excerpts from Huntley saying that he's learning things from Ludwig that he had never learned before. And that's, you know, all fine and dandy. Um, so, you know, it's a little bit of both, but I would say more so it's just Huntley uh, gaining more experience, getting more comfortable. Um, and he, you know, just, just like anyone, if the more snaps you're going to get, the better most, most guys are going to get better. And, and so I think we're kind of seeing that. You know, as, as good as they've been, there's always room for improvement. Uh, from a, from the standpoint of the offensive line, we've seen throughout the year that they've they've had trouble giving Huntley time to throw. What kind of improvement do you need to see from the offensive line moving forward? I think that uh, they just need to again play more football. It's a young group. Um, they're going to see some some big some different looks. Um, obviously, against FC, it was a problem, and Huntley was getting uh, quite a bit of pressure. Um, and that, you know, again, they, they got to just continue to get more experience. And that was a good defense schematically. You know, uh, Pendergrass runs a variety of bullets uh, from all over the place and, and really can cause problems. And when you have a young line, that's kind of what can happen. Kind of following up with, with that last question with the offensive line, I know Utah's really struggled uh, in, in short yardage downs, where it's a third and one or, or fourth and one. Uh, and they've had a little bit more success, you know, running the ball on the outside on those plays. If if you were OC, we'll give you that job title for this. If you were OC, what kind of things would you be doing to to maybe fix those issues? Um, you know, that, it's it's tough. Um, you know, I, when I when I you know used to call plays, I remember thinking third and one should be pretty simple. You know, you you run the ball straight ahead, and your guys up front take care of it, and you know, your running back falls forward and he gets the yard that he needs for the first down. Um, you know, just kind of as Stephen football progresses and you start getting these short yardage downs, I think the the variety of looks you can get, the variety of stunts and blitzes and, and things of that nature are starting to get, you know, pretty complex. And I, I think it just kind of goes back to, uh, you know, what we talked about earlier and just experience and, and those guys up front seeing more reps, seeing more snaps, getting older. Um, now, you know, you, you sit and you're like, well, what do you do if you're the, the play caller then? And, um, it's, it's tricky. You know, uh, you can't just abandon the run on third and one ever. You got to be able to run the football and you got to continue to try. Um, I think it starts there and then you start to add, uh, you know, whether it's play action, whether it's, um, you know, it's particularly on, on the, on the plus side of the field, when you're on the opponent side of the field and you know, you're going to go for it. Um, which, which is usually communicated to the coordinator prior to the play call. Um, I've always liked taking a shot and giving a good hard play fake and trying to throw some over the top. And with that, I mean, especially in that area of the field, you know, you're going to go for it on fourth and one. And, and, you know, you can sit there and you're like, well, if you throw an incompletion, you're right where you started. You're going to have to run the ball on fourth and one. Hopefully not it stops, which, you know, can be difficult. But at least if you take one shot, or one play fake or one, uh, you know, good hard play fake and let Huntley roll out and have a run pass option. Um, you keep the defense just for just a little bit of a hesitation. If you do even just one, once in four games, you put it on tape, like, hey, third and one, especially on the plus side of the field, these guys might take a shot. So we can't call, you know, some kind of all out blitz and let everyone pin their ears back and, right into the A gap or, or anything like that. And so 
I think that's something that, you know, it could help, could help out in those short yardages. Um, anything like fly sweep wise, I've always liked, I know, you know, you're kind of running, you know, east and west and not north and south, which can be a bit of a no-no on short yardage, but anything to just loosen up those guys for the rest of the game, I think is always going to help. It's easy to look back in hindsight and second guess things, but I, going back to the USC game right at the end of the first half when the Utes fumbled at the goal line, do you like the zone read in that situation? I, I personally don't, but I'm a guy who just watches football on the couch. So, <laughs> um. <laughs> it, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, you said it. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I've seen that play called over the years, and the QB pulls it, and he walks backwards into the end zone. Um, so it's just kind of one of those deals where that guy made a great play, it was a great call. They obviously were ready for it. And maybe that had been on tape previously and some needs to change there. But, um, you know, the, the zone read is such a staple now in everybody's offense. Um, it's, it's, I mean, it's how you run inside zone. So, you know, they walk in, they, they score, Huntley pulls it, you know, we're all sitting there. Sam Lud is a genius. Mm-hmm. So uh, personally, I don't disagree with it. It's hard to pinpoint one play, but man, that play kind of cost them the game because you go in and you score there and take the lead, and then you get, and now it's a completely different ball game. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was obviously just real bad timing and poor execution and, and some that needed to get cleaned up. So Jordan, as a former player and coach at the Division One level, what's it like during a bye week? Like, are you like as a player? Are you doing any sort of game prep? Or are you just kind of resting and lifting? Kind of what? What did you do as a player? Um, so we, yeah, I mean, I would start to look ahead for sure on who we were playing um, and really break down their season up until you know the the game before. Um, but I mean, also as a player, though, it's it's time to it's a time to relax and try and recover. Um, and usually, for most guys, uh, they go home over the weekend. Uh, I know most bye weeks, I, I would fly back home and spend time with my family to go see them, and that's pretty typical. Of most guys, if you know, they live in California or Nevada or Texas. I think most of those dudes are flying home for the weekend. If you're a kid from Florida, that might be a little tricky because you got a lot of travel, but. Um, a lot of those guys are, are heading back home to kind of relax, rejuvenate. Uh, you have the week of practice, but it's usually pretty light because you're trying to kind of get everyone feeling fresh again. Um, and then as a, as a coach, it's huge. Uh, it's a huge recruiting time. Um, out of state guys can, can go fly and watch a couple games on Friday night, uh, get a good eval on kids that maybe they haven't seen in person yet. Um, you know, so it's, I mean, the bye week is, is, is really, really uh, valuable. Jordan, obviously the Utes bounced back after that USC loss and, and put a thumping to Washington State. How do you see the rest of the season playing out, assuming that Utah comes out in every game with the same type of energy and focus that they did against Washington State? Yeah, I mean, if, if, uh, if they can, if they come out like that every Saturday, I mean, there's no reason why they can't win out. Um, you know that <laughs> it's the tricky thing about this conference, but you you watch enough West Coast football and you start to realize that 
one can come out and beat everybody. And so it's, I mean, you got to come out and play hard each week. There the, the days of, you know, I was just talking to someone about this today, the, the days of just showing up and, uh, you know, playing Wyoming and Colorado state and teams that, you know, you, for the most part, you know, you're going to walk in and win the game. Both days are gone. I mean, if you show up like that to UCLA, you're going to get beat. It doesn't matter what their record is. Mm-hmm. They still got good guys on the other side of the ball. And so, um, 100%, I think that the youth can win out. I think they're good enough to win, they're good enough to win out. Um, but they got to show up and they got to execute at a high level or you, you can get exposed real quick. You know, as a player, is it hard to come in and be that focused and have that much energy every single week? Uh, you know, I, I don't think it is. Um, you know, what, for me, especially once I started getting hurt, um, you, you, I really never knew when, when was my last play going to be? When was the last time I'm going to get to shoot up? And, with that mentality, it's real easy to get focused and locked in for every week because you really don't know when the last play is going to be. Um, with that being said, I mean, I think most of these guys are pretty locked in. Um, you know, I, I don't think they're coming in overlooking anyone. I will say that just there's, there's so many other things that can happen, whether it's injuries, um, you know, the other tough thing is at the end of the day, these kids are 18 to 21 years old. Um, you know, there, there are plenty of times when football isn't your first thought on your mind. Uh, you might, you know, some guys might have a big test coming up on Monday. They're, you know, the, the social scene uh, could be getting at them. And so there's so many other things that can come into play as well that you try to block out uh, as best you can. But, I mean, that's just kind of part of life you know some of these kids might be going home to see their family there might be families I mean you never know what's going on and so um just from a sheer football standpoint I I don't think it's super hard to be locked in but there there are so many outside things that can come into play that the public the fans whoever don't really get to see or know um that can cause you to trip up and and that's what's crazy about football is especially in the Pac-12, like we're saying, I mean, you look around the league and Stanford, who I didn't think was a great football team. I mean, really just, just dominated Washington from the, from the get go. Uh, Arizona went up and beat Colorado, I believe Oregon mm-hmm. state went and beat UCLA. Uh, you know, it's just the league is, is, is tough and it's, the, the tricky part of it is that it almost gets a bad rap for it. And it's like, oh, well, everybody beats everybody, so that means that nobody's good. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think it's everybody's good, and that should be something that should be celebrated, not a negative. Um, you know, uh, and the big thing is the Pac-12 just needs somebody to go into the playoffs and do well. It's been so long since the Pac-12 has been representing them in the championship game that People forget that, that there's good football out west. So, Jordan, I don't know if you caught uh, Winningham's uh, Monday afternoon uh, press conference, uh, but he was asking uh, what was the key to building a program that can compete in the Pac-12. Uh, and he, he said the key to that was, was recruiting. 
And as someone who was recruited by this Utah program and then later on worked inside the recruiting office with this program, what do you think is kind of like the leading thing that makes Utah so successful at recruiting? You know, it it starts with the guys that are doing the recruiting. And I think Coach Witt's done a great job of surrounding himself with guys that are good recruiters. Um, You know, what, what makes a good recruiter... And, you know, you could get a hundred different answers. Um, obviously, the society we live in, it's being able to relate personally at that level to a, to a 17, 18 year old. Um, I mean, that's going to, that's going to win you recruits. Uh, I'd say almost more than anything. It's, it's a sales job, right? Well, what makes the best salesman? The guy that can create the most meaningful relationship in the quickest amount of time. And so you start with the staff he has and the guys in their areas. I mean, they, they own their areas in recruiting and have a complete grasp on who the guys are and who the guys that they need to talk to and how they're going to portray the program and how they're going to handle their families. And so it starts with that. Um, obviously the, the next thing is winning. I mean, winning cures, winning cures everything. So if you're winning ball games, more guys are going to want to come and win. I think that's uh, sometimes an underestimated value in the recruiting world. You know, it's the reason why Alabama and Clemson continually get the best players because those guys want to go win and play for national championships. So um, you throw in those two factors with the huge staff and then where they recruit, they recruit California and Texas and they start to get a pretty good pipeline going to Florida. That's, uh, you know, I don't think anyone would, would argue too much that those are probably the best three states in the country in terms of football and the kind of player and, and athlete that come out of there. So you, you filter in all three of those. And I mean, you're going to be pretty dang successful if you have all three of those at a high level. Awesome, Jordan. Hey, thank you so much uh, for, for jumping on with us again. Oh, we've had you in the past and, and just that you continue to, to jump on. I, I really appreciate it. I know Utah fans, you know, love to connect with you. Uh, where can people find you on social media? Um, yeah, so I'm kind of, I kind of go on like social media media hiatuses every now and then. Um, <laughs> hey, but right now, the only smart. thing I, I got is, yeah, no, there's, I mean, look, there's a million things and a million and one negative things on social media. So I usually keep my keep my head out of that. But um, I, I still frequently go on Twitter. Um, I think my Twitter name's JWin760. Um, I don't tweet a whole lot. I don't get on there a whole lot. Um, you know, the, the the social media craze is just is just that. So I try to avoid that a little bit. But um, you know, hey, once a month, once a week. Uh, usually, honestly, during the youth game, I'll throw out a tweet so people can connect with me on there. Perfect. Awesome, Jordan. Thank you so much, buddy. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks, Jordan. Man, it's always great to have Jordan on on the phone, and you know, as I said, he's he's joined the the podcast now a couple times, and it's always great. I love getting insight from a former player and and a former starting quarterback, and then also someone who's coached the coached the game, you know, at Hawaii, Fresno State, and then worked in in the recruiting offices at Utah. So he has a really great perspective at, at Division One football. Yeah, great insight, especially. Uh, when we were talking about that short yardage plays, taking that shot downfield, I, I kind of like that. Yeah, he, he had some good ideas. 
All right. So before we bring Brendan in to talk about uh, the Oregon State Beavers, uh, let's really break down this game. So Utah right now looks like it's a 13 and a half point favorite over the Beavers. But honestly, I I don't think this is the same Oregon State team that we as Pac-12 fans have seen the last couple of years. Jonathan Smith kind of got something going up there and their offense is actually playing really, really well. Um, their quarterback, Luton, he hasn't thrown a pick on the year. Uh, 14 touchdowns. Been playing really, really well. And even though the games they, they've lost, there are they are putting up points. And, well, Utah just played a Washington State team that can throw the ball all over the field. I don't think that's an Oregon State team. But they can at least move the ball. And I think Utah cannot go into this game just thinking it's an Oregon State of old. And kind of like what Jordan Wynn was talking about, Utah just can't show up to games like this. Well, I think if if, if you've paid attention to the Pac-12 over the last several years, you know, anybody has the ability to beat anybody week in and week out. And we saw last week, who would have, who would have thought Stanford would beat and really control the game against Washington? Oregon struggled at home against a a Cal team that was being led by Modster, who is awful. I mean, they're, each week you see these teams who should not be winning games are really beating some of the top quality teams in the conference, or at least giving them some good scares, which is really, in, in a lot of ways, hurting. It continues to hurt the perception of the conference. And so, yeah, this this by no means, you know, Oregon State, they've got a bad defense. Um, but their offense is putting points up on the board, and they're definitely an improving team. The fact that, you know, we're coming off a bye week, hopefully not not rusty, um, traveling up to Oregon State, this is a game that, yeah, Utah's got to come out. they got to be focused, and they gotta they got to play their game and, and try and keep that momentum that we got against Washington State going. Because this 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 has the makings of one of those games. If you start slow, you shoot yourself in the foot a few times. You know, Oregon, Oregon State could get going and and get some momentum at home, and then you're in a dogfight the rest of this game. So, hopefully, you know, Utah being the better team, being the more talented team, shows up, takes care of business, and 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 can uh, can do what Vegas is, is projecting them to do and to win big. But yeah, this 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 is not going to be a cakewalk, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, this fan base and even us on this podcast talked about prior to the season that how how kind of happy we were that we would have Cal and Oregon State on the schedule this year, and as that turns out, that that may not be as easy as we all kind of had hoped for. Um, obviously, Cal's got injury at quarterback, which is affecting their 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 ability to to win some games right now but their defense is still fantastic and and it, and Scott as Scott said the Oregon State team can put some points on the board and I know UCLA's defense is not world beaters by anything cuz they've they've given up a lot of points in the last few weeks uh to three different teams but Oregon State's throughout this season has proven that they can put points on the board so uh, you know, I kind of watched. I watched a little bit of the the game against UCLA the other night, and and it kind of reminded me at times a few years back when Utah went up to Oregon, and it, kind of everything came together, and they destroyed Oregon. It's kind of the same thing. There's some 
maybe some fluke things, got turnovers, that weird drop kick uh, kickoff after the penalty, whether they got the onside kick, and then they score on the next play, just some things like that. But but if things like that happen, and then they get some momentum, Scott's right. I mean, anything anything's possible as we've, we've as we've seen this season. And kind of looking at their their defense, Scott, you kind of said their defense isn't nearly playing as well as their offense. Uh, and, and hopefully Utah can take advantage of that and kind of do what Utah's done great this season at controlling time of possession. Honestly, if you can keep Oregon State's offense off the field, that's a great defense for Utah. And kind of wear down that defense, put long drives together. And, and really, if Zach Moss is is ready to go, I still think I would limit him. Oh yeah, I don't you can't. There's too many not that this isn't a big game, but there's too many other big games down the road that you can't risk re-injuring him. You get if he's if he's good to go and they clear him, great, but you know, let just let him get a little bit of action, take a couple of hits, but don't risk him because I I really think there's enough depth at the running back position that they can go up there and win without him. Yeah, I, I would like to see, you know, Moss maybe get 10 to 12 turns, you know, get him back in the routine, get him get him going again. Um, and, uh, but yeah, you got to keep him healthy and, and, and really 100% for the following week, which is going to be an enormous game at home against ASU. So you know, but but I I think you want to get him you want to get him going a little bit again get get him um, some momentum a little bit back into the season. Um, but to me, this this game is going to be huge, really. And, and depending on how Utah comes out and plays, if we show up, we take care of business from the onset and just actually absolutely you know make this game a no doubter, win it easily. That bodes well for the rest of the season. If we come out and we let Oregon State hang around, we beat ourselves up, bad, timely uh, penalties, costly turnovers, and allow them to hang around, to me, that's going to show kind of where this team is at and maybe how the rest of the season goes. You know, I, I feel like we turned a corner against Washington State, obviously, with that type of performance. But to me, it's going to be whether or not you can duplicate that performance again and continue to show your dominance as a program in the conference and just put teams away, or if is or is each game going to be a struggle here on uh, you know throughout the rest of the season. So to me, I'm really anxious to kind of see how we come out and and the type of game we play against an inferior opponent and and if we're able to just control the game. Yeah, after after watching what we did against Washington State, I think that Utah has found a recipe for success on both sides of the ball. Cameron kind of talked about it a minute ago. Utah has to control the time of possession, and and that's really was the key factor in in beating Washington State. Their their offense is such such a quick strike offense, and they don't use a lot of clock. Um, but when they don't have the ball, they can't do what they do best. So if Utah continues to do what they found success doing, limiting the turnovers and and, and stupid penalties, then it, it should be a it, it should be a blowout win. Well, and and obviously, yes, you, you want to control 
control time of possession, but we've been doing that every game this season. We did that against USC, but we failed in other aspects of the offense, which is why we lost that game. So I, I don't I don't doubt that we're going to have to control time of possession. I think Utah, if, if they know what they do, Ludwig has a plan. I, I think he's going to continue to stay and do that game in and game out. But it's the other aspects of the offense, the penalties, the costly, untimely uh, turnovers. If Are those going to continue to, to hold this offense back? Or can we kind of make some progress and get over those things you know, the, the short yardage challenges that this, this offensive line and running game has, um, even to the stand of red zone, those are the things I'm looking looking at that I think are going to be more pivotal because I, I don't doubt one, one bit that we're going to control time of possession. But outside of time of possession, what are we going to do with the issues that are still plaguing the offense to an extent? Are we making progress on those or are we just still kind of muddling through it? So that's that's what I'm anxious to see. Um, is, is really is is are we improving in some of these deficiencies that we've had so far through through five games? We we've kind of talked about things we want to see, things Utah needs to do uh, to be successful. As we as we kind of close uh, this kind of segment up, and before we bring uh, Brandon on from Beaver's Edge to talk about Oregon State, if there's one thing that you want to see coming out of the bye week and into this game against Oregon State, what is that one thing you want to see the Utes do to move to take that next step and move on in the season? For me, it's clearly offensive line play. If they have improved enough to consistently give Huntley time to throw in the pocket. Extremely important, right? Is that offensive line play and, and, the, and kind of clean things up is these penalties have absolutely killed drives and it's killed momentum. That's what I want to see. And, and you look at great programs, you look at Ohio State, Alabama, those guys do not kill themselves. And if they do, it's once a game, it's twice a game. It's not a continual issue that, that creeps up over and over and over again. And I think for this team, there's so much, yes, in some areas that we're, we're, we're a little bit young, but in a lot of areas we've got a lot of leadership and a lot of experience on this on this team. So if we can eliminate these mental mistakes and these these moments in the game where we just kind of collapse upon ourselves, that to me, I think I think we can absolutely take off and and just start boat racing teams and and having the game over in the third quarter. Because we've got the talent to do it, both offensively and defensively, if we can get out of our own way. And I think I think you're right, and I think that comes down to what we talked a little bit about with Jordan Wynn. Can, is it is it possible for for these players to come every week with the energy and focus that they did against Washington State? And you know, and he said, yeah, it it's possible. It's hard because there's other aspects in their li- of their lives that creep into that and that ha- that happens to all of us no matter what our profession is but uh if they can focus for that for the one hour of game time um they they can win out and i completely agree with, with what you guys are saying especially uh, ryan with you on the offensive line play uh, i think for me coming in, into this game where i really want to see utah um continue to to play well out is the secondary 
you know, a bad game against USC, a phenomenal game against Washington State. I really want to see how that secondary will work and how they'll play on the road and really prove that Washington State wasn't a fluke. All right, so that'll kind of do our thoughts as Utah heads up to Corvallis uh, to play the Beavers. We'd love to know uh, what you have to what you have to say and what you think uh, Utah needs to to really work on. And you can hit us up on Twitter at Utah Man Podcast. All right, so joining on the phone now is Brendan Slaughter from BeaversEdge.com, part of Rivals. Brendan, thanks for jumping on, buddy. Uh, anytime, guys. Appreciate you having me. So, obviously, with the Oregon State Beavers, I think the first thing that's really popped out to, to my eyes, kind of kind of watching this team this year, is just how great that offense is flowing. And I think it all starts with Jake Luton. You know, he's thrown 14 touchdowns, zero picks. Where is this kid coming from, and, and how is he being so successful on the field? Yeah, I mean, when it comes to Jake Luton, I think it just comes down to maturity and uh, his familiarity and offensive coordinator Brian Lindgren's offense. You know, you look at a, a guy like Jake, you know, he applied for a sixth year, uh, came back, got it from the NC2A, and um, came into a, a fall camp in a pretty tight quarterback battle with backup Tristan Jebbia. Uh, he was named the starter, and, you know, he kind of had a rocky start to the season a little bit when it comes to um, completion percentage. He had a real rough game against Hawaii in that regard, but has really kind of started to step it up the last couple weeks, and then we saw him have arguably the game of his career against UCLA. You know, he has five passing touchdowns, one on the ground that I didn't personally think he was capable of, you know, running and pulling the ball in the read option quite the way that he did. So, you know, in terms of making good decisions, um, being a leader on the field, um, Jake Luton just kind of uh, epitomizes all those things. And, you know, now he's up to, you know, number two behind Tua Tagovailoa um, with 166 straight passes without an interception. Uh, he's had great line play and great skill receivers and running backs beside him. Speaking of those receivers, it's obviously helpful to have uh, really good ones when you throw the ball a lot. So Isaiah Hodgins, uh, he's really kind of stepping out to, uh, to be one of the best receivers in the country. What makes him so special? Yeah, you know, Isaiah Hodgins, for those who have kind of been following the program closely the last couple of years, Hodgins has had this kind of ability and talent for a couple of years, but Oregon State hasn't had stability at the quarterback position to be able to get him the ball, get a quarterback that can stay healthy and be able to kind of grow chemistry with him. And now that Jake Luton has been healthy for the first start of this year, you see that talent. Luton and Hodgins have an undeniable chemistry together. Um, it goes back a couple of years when they both got in in 2017, but they haven't been on the field much prior to this year together consistently. They get on the field and, you know, Hodgins now six nationally in yards, uh, number two in touchdowns. He's, He's a dominant receiver because he's as good of a route runner as they come. You know, um, Isaiah Hodgins isn't going to blow you away with his speed at six foot four, as six foot four, two oh nine. But more than anything, it's just his route running and his hands. He is meticulous in his preparation. He knows how to run routes extremely well. And Jake Luton, being six foot seven, can put the ball up in places where Hodgins can go get it, and make a one on one play on the ball. Uh, he's going to make those plays more times than not, and. Um, he's really been the backbone of an Oregon State offense that has really started to find its stride here in the last couple of weeks. Six foot seven. Does does he play basketball too? <laughs> Jake Luton <laughs> was actually uh, 
if you can believe it, he was a pitcher in high school. And uh, as you can imagine, being six foot seven, he had quite the cannon there on the mound. So Jake Luton's got a strong arm. And like you said, six foot seven, he's tall up there. So a couple of years ago, you know, there was a kind of a connection between Oregon State and Utah with Gary Anderson up there. Uh, obviously, Gary steps down and in comes Jonathan, Jonathan Smith, who honestly, I think was a great hire uh, by by Oregon State, kind of get a, a little shot in the arm there with him. Uh, but where are you seeing the most improvement uh, since he's taken over this this Beaver program? I would just say just kind of changing the culture and the mindset. Um, you know, we'll kind of get into it as it goes on, I'm sure. But just when you look at, you know, you mentioned it with uh, Gary Anderson, it was kind of a a real kind of ugly departure and, you know, ugly in the sense of like, you know, when Jonathan Smith got there, there wasn't, there wasn't much, you know, I think Oregon state had about three or four scholarship defensive linemen, you know, the quarterback situation was a mess. The team was a mess. And, you know, Jonathan Smith more than anything, has been a stabilizing and calming presence. He comes in with a pretty concrete plan. Sure. They go two and 10 in year one, but concrete steps were taken in the right direction. And then now we're seeing this season, you know, Oregon State beats UCLA. They were really close against Hawaii. They played Oklahoma State, you know, more competitively than they would have, say, a year ago. Uh, the Beavers still have a long way to go. It's very tough to climb up that ladder in the Pac-12 and especially the North with how talented it is. But for fans to be able to quantify and see a win like UCLA last week where Oregon State executed for four quarters, that just hasn't happened, you know, more than maybe once or twice since Mike Riley departed. And with that being said, you know, uh, expectations are starting to, you know, kind of rise a little bit in Beavers fans' mind just because they can kind of get excited and get behind something because there hasn't been a whole lot to get excited about the last few years in Corvallis. Jumping over to the other side of the ball, what uh, what's the bright spot that you see on the on their defense? Yeah, when it comes to Oregon State's defense, you know, more than anything, it's just year two, consistency, less kind of real glaring mistakes. You know, you look at last year, Oregon State statistically was the second worst defense in the country, only to UConn. Uh, run defense was just awful. Oregon State seemed like they allowed a school record in rushing yards to multiple running backs last year. So seeing this year, seeing the run defense take a step forward, I think it's largely been because of the linebacking play. And you look at uh, on the interior with Avery Roberts um, kind of really locking down the interior about uh, linebacking core transferred in from Nebraska. Uh, he's been a day one starter as a redshirt sophomore. He's been impressive this year. Uh, and then on the outside, uh, Tamika Rashid uh, leads Pac-12 six sacks. He's a high motor, high energy guy, and he's a real force coming off the edge. With that, Oregon State's strength is definitely in the linebackers. Uh, secondary still coming along work in progress and the defensive line getting there still not the ideal number of bodies or experience but again dramatically improved from last year so you're seeing Oregon State be able to keep themselves in games now so Brendan looking at at uh, Oregon State in, in conference you know obviously they uh, they they dropped one against Stanford that was very close uh, but then they come out and they respond very well against UCLA you know beating a a, a marquee name uh, with Chip Kelly, who I know there's a lot of history with Oregon State there. How big was that win just for this team to get that first conference win out of the way? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's big. Uh, I don't want to over-quantify it, and that's kind of what I've been pumping the brakes on a little bit this week is just, you know, looking at it, UCLA, they're don't take anything away from Oregon State's win. They played a fantastic game, and that was a win they needed. I'm convinced that UCLA isn't all that good. I think their consistency, they have some issues, especially with Chip Kelly. Um, you know, you look at Jonathan Smith and Chip Kelly, both were hired the same offseason and one program is trending far more upward than the other. So taking that into account, you know, the Beavers aren't resting on their laurels. You know, they can't, you know, Jonathan Smith said it today in his press conference, you know, it was nice to celebrate that win and sleep on it, but it's far from perfect. You know, Oregon state still only won a handful of games the last few years. So now it's all about consistency and taking steps forward to, you know, continue to build off that success because, the last few years, Oregon State's had those games where, you know, they've won, maybe weren't expected to or what have you, but then it's kind of been stringing good play together and being consistent, and that's the next step for them is, you know, stringing multiple wins together or playing really good four-quarter football for a few weeks despite the uh, loss. So I think that it's going to come down to how the Beavers move forward, but Jonathan Smith was excited about, you know, the potential of what it could do for the team in terms of the win and Momentum is a big thing with young teams. Oregon State's a young team that is still 100% learning how to win. And, you know, you never know what uh, positive momentum can do to a team like that. You've talked a little bit tonight about Luton and Hodgins, but is there another player that uh, Utah fans should look for this weekend that could have have an impact on the game? Yeah, I would look no further than the running back duo. You know, you look at Artavis Pierce, who's kind of been the – de facto back so far here in the last couple of weeks with Jamar Jefferson kind of being hampered by a, a lower leg injury. You know, Artavis is, you know, second in the Pac-12 in yards and is uh, pretty close to that in touchdowns. He's been an absolute force. He really went into overdrive against UCLA, uh, really kind of scat back, but really powerful in between the tackles. He's been a nice uh, addition to the Oregon State backfield. And then Jamar Jefferson, obviously freshman All-American a year ago. He's been Hampered by, you know, a ankle injury he suffered against Hawaii a couple weeks ago, but he should be getting closer to 100% against Utah. So uh, that running game, you know, Jonathan talked about it today. You know, Utah extremely good against the run, and they know that. However, you know, they still pride themselves on the run game. So I expect Oregon State to try to crack that Utah defensive line. It's going to be absolutely tough sledding, but I would look for them to try to establish some semblance of a run game early. Obviously, Utah is coming off of a bye week and it had a little extra time to prepare. How do, how do you see that pl- uh, playing into the outcome Saturday? Yeah, you know, it's been interesting because I've been kind of watching the Pac-12 uh, this, you know, kind of this year. And you look at the last couple of teams, Oregon came off a bye this last week and came out really flat against Cal a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Oregon State came off their bye and were really flat in the first half against Stanford, actually were shut out. So I think there's a there's a uh, slight risk of kind of being a little bit rusty after the bye, but you know Kyle Whittingham and Utah they're as good as they come when it comes to preparation, when it comes to the fine details and what they do. Uh, I think that's going to only benefit Utah. You know they're probably watched Oregon State's game against UCLA with a real fine tooth comb, and I can imagine that uh, they're going to try to get after Jake Luton because he was largely unpressured uh, and had a lot of time in the pocket against uh, UCLA and. With the defensive front that Utah has, I imagine that's what uh, Witt and company have been working on all week. 
All right, Brent. Last question I'll throw at you, and then we'll we'll cut you loose. As you said at the beginning of this interview, that the fans um, are starting to get you know more excited about this program and what they're seeing. Uh, what kind of atmosphere uh, do you think will, will be there in Reser Stadium? And then, do you have a, a prediction for the game? Uh, yeah, you know, I think it's going to be a good one. Uh, it's homecoming for Oregon State. They're tossing back the old retro uh, Benny logo, so that always kind of brings a crowd and. We'll see what happens on weather. I expect it to, you know, and at right now it says rain. The forecast, that seems pretty likely. It seems like every time Oregon State and Utah play, there seems to be some weather in Reeser Stadium at least. So I would I would anticipate some weather. And uh, I think after that UCLA win, I think the Beavers are definitely going to uh, draw a crowd and um, put some fans in the stadium. You know, Utah, obviously a top 15 team, so that's going to be exciting. That doesn't happen all the time at Research Stadium. So I think it's going to be a solid crowd. Uh, I've got Utah winning 31-21 right now. I think Oregon State sneaks in under that spread after a strong game. But uh, I believe Utah's defense is among the best in the country, and that defensive line is for real. So uh, right now I've got Utah on that 10-point victory. I will have to say that the throwback logo for Oregon State is beautiful. I like it. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's clean, isn't it? It is. So I definitely I'll, I'll be looking forward to that. Uh, again, thanks so much, uh, Brendan, for for jumping on. Uh, as far as uh, Utah fans wanting to to kind of stay up um, with the Beavers leading up to the game, uh, where can people uh, find you on social media? Uh, you can go ahead and follow my Twitter handle. That's at b underscore slot, and then also uh, Beavers Edge on Twitter. Those are the best two ways to uh, keep in touch with Beaver football. Awesome, Brendan. Hey, thank you so much, buddy. Appreciate it, Cameron. Ryan, thanks for having me on, guys. Thank you. So big thank you to Brendan Slaughter for, for jumping on. And again, go go give him a follow. Check their stuff out on, on Beaver's Edge. Uh, you know, for me, I think it's fun to, to kind of to, to learn about the teams Utah are going to play, kind of kind of follow up. kind of makes the games, I think, a little bit more interesting when you kind of get that insider's look. So before we wrap this episode up, uh, I really want to look into the, into this Pac-12 conference and kind of see where the standings are. I know we have our pick'em game. I'm I'm glad to say I'm kicking your guys' butt in it as usual. Oh boy, who would have thought? As usual, who would have thought after week five Arizona would be leading the South? So before we get that, uh, before we break that down, uh, we want to give a shout out to the. 12-pack radio. They do a great job um, talking all things Pac-12, and they have a message for our listeners. Hey, Ute fans, it's Brian with 12-pack radio. Like you, we're big fans of the Utah Man podcast and are glad you're tuning in. If you're jonesing for some additional Pac-12 coverage, then check out our show, 12-pack radio with Sports Illustrated Gambling's Max Meyer. We use advanced stats, hold free contests, and provide an in-depth look at the Conference of Champions. And we're high on the Utes, so we've had Cam and Scott on the show multiple times. Not Ryan, though. He's in the boo box. But if you're looking for some Utah love, we're happy to oblige. We've had great guests, and it's a good show. So search for 12-pack radio anywhere you get your podcasts and follow us on twitter at 12 pack radio that's one two pac radio so go ahead and check them out on your on your favorite podcatcher anywhere you listen to podcasts they're there just like us uh 12 pack radio so holy crap the pack 12 is just crazy as usual six games five games in for a lot of teams and i don't think we know who's going to be 
winning either division. I think it's still up in the air with a lot of teams. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the North, the North is a little bit more clear at the moment. You know, being that you've got Oregon, they're the top-ranked team in the conference, two and zero in the in the in in their northern division. And you look at uh, you look at Stanford. I I just don't see Stanford maintaining what they did against Washington. They're at two and two. Oregon State's at one and one again. You know, they're off to a, a better start than anybody anticipated. Um, but you you look at Cal. One and two, Washington. One and two, Washington State. Zero oh and two. You know those are, those are holes, early holes. That those three teams. It may it may be tough to, to climb out of, especially the, you know, with Oregon not even having a loss as of yet. So the the Northern Division looks a little bit more clear than the South at the at the present moment because. We all know Arizona is not winning the South. <laughs> well, and just looking at the North, you broke that down. Uh, as you said, uh, Washington and Washington State, uh, both two losses, they still haven't played Oregon. And I'm not saying that that's a yeah. guarantee, not a guaranteed you know, win or loss either way, but already being down two games and, and they still need to play kind of the favorite right now, that that's a tough road, tough road to take. Well, it's, it's pretty surprising. I mean, Washington, you know, they've looked really good early on in the season. Obviously, you know, they had that early season loss to Cal, but, you know, it's almost kind of forgiven a little bit for the fact that it was such a long lightning and weather delay and the game takes place in the middle of the night. You know, so you can kind of understand that loss a little bit, uh, especially, you know, Cal, Cal beat them last year as well. But to lose to Stanford and really be dominated in that game, that was that was a complete head scratcher. Yeah, I was surprised, and I I kind of flipped between games and watched a big chunk of that one, and I I was really surprised. And to be honest, it was the first time I'd watched Washington all year, but uh, I was not really impressed on for e- on either side of the ball. I didn't I didn't think Eason was was that great of a QB at least that night he wasn't and, and their defense has was not the same defense that uh we've seen when we've played him the last couple of years well and you know wh- one thing to keep to keep in mind you know I saw that a lot on Twitter is how come Utah doesn't get that type of Washington team and and you know it's it really speaks to where Utah is at a program Utah has has earned the respect of everybody in this conference and they're now one of the upper echelon teams year in and year out in the conference. And, and especially this year, with all the preseason love, expected to win the South for the second straight year, picked to win the conference, we're getting everybody's best shot. So when we travel up to Washington in a few weeks, you know, I, don't, I don't think we're going to see the same type of, uh, uh, of Husky team. We're going to get their best shot. Um, you know, and, and that's what Utah's going to face. That's what we're going to face this week against Oregon State. Teams want to beat the big guys. They want to take down a ranked opponent. You know, so we're going to continually get get uh, get everybody's best shot here moving forward. But with that being said, I mean, it's really, it is tough to predict how things are going to shake out in either of these divisions because, you know, you think Oregon's going to win this. The heck, they could lose two in a row the way they're playing. And then everything's back up in the air. So this this is gonna be uh this is gonna be an exciting conference race as as the season progresses here. Yeah. as we look at the South, uh the division right now, 
Uh, Arizona is the lead, two and zero. USC two and one. Colorado one on one. Arizona State one on one. Utah one on one. And then UCLA at the bottom at one and two. The Pac twelve they beat up on each other. There's a lot of parity in this league. We all know that. They need to use that as a strength. They need to turn. They need to flip that negative around, and and kind of build that as 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 a PR move. But I know Larry Scott doesn't care because he doesn't. He really doesn't care about the success of the program. Obviously, with the the moves he's making, and I mean Woody Dixon, give me a break. I, I think the Pac-12 marketing department is run by Utah's marketing <laughs> department. <laughs> well, well, does the Pac-12? I mean, here's here's the deal. I know we're trying to get off on a tangent here, but does the Pac-12? Do they have a department that takes care of any of that stuff? Because you never see anything. You never see Scott in the media in the national media fighting for the conference. You never you never see any any um, programs. You never see anything from the Pac-12 that is out in the media that is that is defending itself. It's putting this kind of information out there. You know, Scott's just back in back in California, Northern California, collecting his paychecks and flying on his private jet. And it, it's really, it's, if you think about it, it's almost up to the, each individual fan base on social media to go after the, the national media and try and change that narrative. And that, that's tough to do. Because we do not have a headliner program in the conference, we don't have a Clemson, well, we don't was... have an Alabama, and and without a headliner, I mean, the statistics show that you that the Pac-12 is one of the better conferences from top to bottom in the country, but nobody cares about that unless you've got somebody to grab a headline, and that's our struggle. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty clear today that it's it's up to each individual university to promote their programming look at all the the hate tweets at the pac-12 and espn about utah being selected for the pac-12 network against asu next week and and washington state and colorado get the espn game i mean that's that that shouldn't be that way well that's not really protecting your product or promoting your product and yes like the pac-12 doesn't have great I guess TV deals with ESPN ranks, they usually are playing at midnight and whatnot. All I'm saying, and and we can we'll, we'll circle back after this thought, but with all the negative things going against the Pac-12, they need to start flipping those to positives. They just need to change the mindset mm-hmm. um, of how they're being portrayed. But going back, well, it, it would help. It, it would help if you, two of your best teams in your conference that are going to go head to head. Um, you know, Utah, Arizona State, if you didn't bury them and hold them hostage on the frickin' Pac-12 network, and uh, so only a small portion of the country can even see the game. Yeah, I mean, ESPN's I not mean, the end-all, be-all, but it's definitely plays to a wider, larger audience than the Pac-12 network so, does. But, but when ESPN has a chance for a primetime game, I get it, the Pac-12, they want they want to promote their product and they want a good game on, on their station that will help maybe in their negotiations with DirecTV. But come on, guys, you've had eight years of this and you still haven't gotten the job done. So putting a few good games on isn't going to change the narrative and it's not going to change you getting a deal with DirecTV or any of these others. It's a flawed product 
with what they currently have at the moment, and and they're kicking themselves. They're shooting themselves in the foot by putting a game like that on the Pac-12 network and burying it instead of allowing ESPN to pick it up in a primetime slot and 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 display it. The two great ranked Pac-12 teams going up against each other nationally, that would help the product. But, you know, we're just going to bury it and nobody's going to see it. And, 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 and you're going to have... Either Arizona State's going to lose, Utah's going to lose that game, and one of them is going to take a significant hit in the rankings, and what is everybody going to do? They're going to pile on. See, there's another team. Because they didn't watch the game, they don't know anything about it, and they look at the final scores, and that's all the most of the national media sees about the Pac-12 is the final scores. And, and, and Larry Scott's doing nothing about it, and it's, it's getting old. I'm just kind of seeing this take place over and over and over again year after year. All right, so looking at our Pick'em game, it was not a good week for us or the Pac-12. Scott, you and I went 1-2 and uh, thanks to the Oregon State Beavers, uh, and then we all missed the Washington and Colorado games. I didn't win one? (laughs) Ryan, you went 0-3. crap. So on the standings, so man, we're we're all off to pretty rough starts on this. Uh, on the pick of this. So on the standings, I'm ten and nine. Scott, you're nine and ten, and Ryan, you're eight and eleven. <laughs> Three games under five hundred, Ryan. But only two games behind Cameron. <laughs> all right, so let's go ahead and get our three picks in for the Pac-12 this week. First game we're looking at is. Friday night, Colorado's traveling to Eugene to play the Ducks. The Ducks right now are a 20.5-point favorite over Colorado. I think that's way too big of a spread. Uh, if we're playing spread, I'd definitely take Colorado, but we're, we're doing straight up. So, Ryan, who do you got? Yeah, I think that's way too big of a spread, too. I think I mean, Colorado can put points on the board. Um, and I haven't been. I wasn't that impressed watching Oregon the, this weekend either. I don't. I think that's going to be a much closer game uh, than twenty points. But being being in Eugene, I'm going to give Oregon the edge. I'm definitely feeling that same way, especially on a short week. Uh, having to travel up to Eugene, uh, I'll I'll take the Ducks. But I think it's going to be a lot closer than twenty points, Scott. Yeah, a Friday night game. The uh, that is where ranked Pac-12 teams go to die. <laughs> so I, uh, I, that's a tough one. If, if it was at Colorado, man, I I'd, I'd probably go with the Buffs on that. But uh, ooh, I'm gonna do it. I'm going Buffs. I'm going Buffs on that. Although for 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 our sake, I hope Oregon pulls it out. But uh, knowing how this conference goes, I would not be surprised to see the Buffs beat them. All right, the next game we're looking at, Washington State's traveling to face the Sun Devils of Arizona State. Uh, Arizona State's only a two-and-a-half-point favorite right now. Should be a really close game. Ryan, who do you got? That is an interesting matchup. Obviously, Washington State, I think they're actually both teams are coming up by weeks. So Washington State is coming into that with a two-game losing streak. And if their coach is right, they've lost their fight. They have they're fat. They're entitled. I think I think Washington State bounces back and gets the win on the road. I'm completely on with Washington State with this one. I think they go down and beat the Sun Devils. I don't think Arizona State has the defense that can hang 
uh, with what Washington State can do in the air. So I'll go with the Cougars. Scott, where are you going? I know it may sound boring, but I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna we're gonna go three for three on this. I'm going with uh, Washington State. I think you know they're gonna have something to prove. They've got a bad taste in their mouth for they've had to deal with for three weeks now, and uh, I think uh, I think uh, obviously ASU they do have a good defense. Um, so I think it'll be a good game, but I'm I'm gonna go with the uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Mike Leach and his fat uh, entitled football players. And the last game we're looking at, the Washington Huskies are playing Arizona Wildcats. Right now, Washington's a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Ryan, where are you going? Boy, oh boy. Two teams. One of them looked awful. One of them looked pretty decent getting the win against Colorado. I think Washington's the better team. Um, I, I'm going to go with Washington and wins a close one on the road. I think Ryan's peeking over at my notes because I'm going with Washington too. <laughs> I know Washington didn't play well at all last week. Uh, I think Chris Peterson really uh, gets his his guys focused. But I mean, hats off to Arizona. I know Clil Tate had a great game uh, against Colorado, uh, but I, I think Washington's going to be the more hungry team, having lost now two games in conference. Uh, and so I, I'm going to go with the Huskies, Scott. You know, this is a big game because I mean, if, if Arizona does pull this out, that that could change things in the South a little bit. That could make them a contender, really, to to win this to win this division. So, pretty pretty crucial game. Now, Washington, their last three trips, they just do not play well at Arizona, and uh, they have really struggled their last three trips to Tucson. Um, so, I think it's going to be a good game, but I I, I just have to think Washington. The expectations on that program, the talent level that they have, they they're just not gonna they're gonna not it's not gonna sit well with them. Um, what happened last week? So I, I got you, Deb. As we close out this episode, we'll go the Utah Oregon State game. Ryan, who do you got, and what's your score? I am going with Utah winning big on the road in Research Stadium. I'm going to pick Utah 45, Oregon State 20. All right, I'm going with the Utes. I think Utah goes in. They really control this game. Uh, they get the win up in Corvallis. I have them 35 to 21. Scott, I think I think Utah is going to finally get to that 40 point threshold. Um, I've got the I got a score. I think we win pretty easily, and I think we come out to their business and 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 put it on uh, on the Beavers. So I think I'm going with 42 to 24. All right, so that'll do it for this episode. Ryan, where can people find you on Twitter? At Drum and Feather. Drum, the letter N, Feather. And Scott? Yeah, you can find me at Uteman underscore forever. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Utah Podcast. And you can always subscribe to us anywhere you listen to a podcast. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, we're there. And you can always go to our home at utahmanpodcast.com. And hopefully Utes get a big win in conference play against the Beavers. And go Utes! Go Utes. Go Utes. We'll be so right back to you. We're good. Let's cut it. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are their own and are no way affiliated with the University of Utah. Get us a look into Beavers. Or give us a look into the Oregon State Beavers. <laughs> <laughs> Can I look? <laughs>
We, we all want to look into the beavers. <laughs> Scott just got closer to the camera. Where? Where do I look? Beaver? Beaver. <laughs> I'm trying to get a closer look. Oh my god. As soon as I said that, I was like, nope.